iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? So I think AI, because of its conversational nature, it's going to be able to unblock folks when they're stuck in that moment. But it's also going to be able to motivate. It's going to be able to remember and have a long lasting connection with the student. And we have a project we're internally calling it proactive conmigo. We're adding a bunch of features. So it is more proactive. So it's not just waiting for the student or the teacher to ask it to do something that it will say, Hey, are you sure you don't need this right now? Or eventually you can imagine it directly communicating it to parents and and teachers, what the students are working on and also how the parents or the teachers might better support the student. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I am your host, Danny Fortson, and this week we are talking about the brave new world of education, particularly AI-powered education. So on the program, we have Saul Khan. He is the founder of Khan Academy, who's been just a really hugely successful nonprofit that really pioneered online tutoring going back to the mid-naughties. So, you know, 15 years plus uh, they've been at it. And last year, the company launched a new thing called Conmigo, which is its AI tutor that is built on top of OpenAI's uh, GPT-4. And I wanted to have Salon because almost from the moment that ChatGPT came out, one of the great use cases that everybody in the industry was saying that was going to change the world is that we are all going to soon have our own AI tutor. And we're hearing how this is going to be a very good thing for education, you know, kind of personalized mass education. Now, obviously, there was also a collective freak out because, of course, AI makes it easier to cheat. And, you know, there was lots of fears around what this is going to mean for homework, the essay, thinking in general. So I want to have Salon because he's been working on this in one form or another for years now. And I think what they've done is really interesting. So again, they have this Conmigo AI tutor. They've launched it last year. They're being used by schools. And it's really, you know, of all amid all the talk about what's going to happen, they've actually started putting something out into the world. People are using it. And I really wanted to just sit down. thought it'd be a great opportunity just to talk with uh, Saul about this moment in education, particularly online education, AI education, but also the whole Khan Academy story, which is just really fascinating. And where he sees education going from here, you know, is it... um, there's lots of hand wringing, but there's also a lot of excitement and just trying to get a handle on 
how we should be thinking about it all. So that is what we're about to do. And as a, as a dad of two young boys, I'm super interested in how this is all going to play out, especially with the rise and rise of these technologies that are just uh, incredibly powerful. And I'm sure all of you are interested in the same topic as well. So here he is, my conversation with Saul Khan of Khan Academy, talking about his education startup, Khan Academy, and Khan Migo, their new AI tutor. Enjoy. I'm a great admirer of Khan Academy. I have two kids, five and seven, and they've started messing around with the Khan app, which they really enjoy putting different numbers of fruits and blenders to make smoothies, etc. <laughs> so thank you. Always good to hear that. But I wanted to have you on because I saw you speak briefly at the Fortune AI conference a couple weeks back. And it struck me that with this newest product, Conmigo, which we're going to get into, it's kind of one of the first iterations of, of this kind of brave new AI world that everybody seems very excited about. But thus far is is a little slower in coming than perhaps people appreciate. But before we get to that, if you could just give a brief history of Khan Academy, how it started, and kind of where you got to up to the chat GPT moment, and then we can talk about what you're doing now, because I think it's a really interesting arc and will give people good context for kind of what you're doing now and where you're going. Sure, I'll give the Cliff Notes version. I can Cliff Notes version, exactly. Detailing. You rewind back to 2004. My original background was in tech, but I had found myself now as an analyst at a hedge fund. I had just gotten married. I was a year out of business school. It just came out of conversation after my wedding in the Northeast. I was born and raised in New Orleans, so I had family visiting me from New Orleans. Mm. I was in Boston at the time. My cousin, 12-year-old cousin Nadia was having trouble in math. I offered to tutor her remotely. When she went back to New Orleans, she agreed. I worked on the phone, we used instant messenger, whatever we could, and slowly but surely, it paid off for her. She went from being a struggling student to, frankly, one of the strongest students in her school. And that was over the phone. So this is obviously way, way before FaceTime or anything. It was over the phone, 2004 technology. Uh, we had instant <laughs> messenger, and I remember Yahoo, a lot of people don't remember Yahoo instant messenger. It had this little doodle functionality where you had this little mm. screen that would show up on the instant messenger window. And with like your mouse, you could draw stuff in that screen. It was like a shared pad and we would use that oh, to wow. write equations and things. And then I I bought a like a $60 digital pen and I bought her one too so that we could write on it. And then I found other apps that let us do that. But that's what we were doing in uh, late 2004, early 2005. I was hooked. I started tutoring her brothers. Word spreads in my family, free tutoring is going on. Before I know it, <laughs> I'm tutoring 10, 15 cousins, family, friends every day. And I saw a common pattern. Most of my cousins and family friends just had gaps in their knowledge. They needed more practice. They had forgotten things. So I started writing software for them where it would give them as much practice as they needed. It had this little thing where it, it tried to really make sure they were fluent in it, not just get a few right. Like you got to get 10 in a row. I called that thing, that web app that I was writing, Khan Academy. It had nothing to do with videos at the time. Fast forward to 2006, all my friends knew I had this crazy side project writing software and tutoring my cousin. And so at this point, you're still working for your day job as hedge fund analyst. Yes, I was working for Wool Capital Management. And at that point, the firm, and it was myself and Dan Wool, who was my boss, yeah. his wife became a professor at Stanford, so we moved out here to the Bay Area. And then we grew a little bit. We added a few more employees. But yes, I was still a an analyst at a hedge fund. Was there a point where you're like, okay, I'm doing this like side hustle? 
I've come out of business school. I'm working for a hedge fund. I'm, I'm sure all of your colleagues were doing all of the, you know, investment banking, venture capital, startups, whatever. Was there a moment where you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a nonprofit, an education nonprofit. That's how I'm going to put my business kind of acumen to use. I actually wasn't even thinking in terms of a business. In, in the late 90s, I did a couple of startups out here in Silicon Valley. And the last one I did before business school, I found particularly traumatizing. And, <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to business school and entrepreneurship is not for me. I don't have the emotional fortitude. And were you running that startup? Because I, I have a little bit of experience in that world as well. But my only lasted five months before I was fired. No, no, it was a it was a pretty legitimate startup. I wasn't I I wasn't the founder, but I was the first employee after the founders. Uh, it was called MeVC, MeVC, and it was there to democratize venture capital. It was a partnership oh, wow. with Draper Fisher Jervison at the time, and the two founders were investment bankers from Robertson Stevens, who essentially figured out a legal structure where you could have the public invest in private investments. And what could possibly go wrong in 1998, 99, 2000? <laughs> and they hired me at the ripe age of 22 years old to be their CTO. Right. And the whole idea is uh, we were going to create a web-based experience where people could be like a armchair venture capitalist, where they could vote on deals and they could learn about the businesses. The, the votes wouldn't have been binding, but it would have <laughs> felt like you're part of It's a transparent yeah. I don't want to be too defensive of the idea, but it had some potential. To there it. has a, no, I think there is because there's a, there's some form of that now. Is it in safe or whatever it's called, where you can invest as an armchair investor? But um, yeah, especially at that time, it, things were so crazy. I imagine most people who actually tried to get in, it did not turn out well for them. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan, as you can imagine, of democratizing anything. But with democratization, needs to come education. And that's why I took what I was doing back in the late 90s very seriously. I was like, look, you could open up funds for people. And look, the reason why a lot of these IPOs were popping was because people didn't know what they were doing and they were just running after everyone else. But if you actually educate people about finance and accounting and what these businesses are doing and how do you vet for a real business model, et cetera, you're doing service to the world. It's not about letting people in or not letting them out. But I went to business school convinced that I didn't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed finance. I had no background, formal background in finance up to that point, but it was a good combination for me of math and psychology and history and economics. And a, a professor su said, hey, you'd be really good at a hedge fund. I'm like, okay, great. Right. What's a hedge fund? And so right. ironically, even though I had sworn off entrepreneurship, I then end, end up at a two-person hedge fund, me being one of the two, the two people. But in 2005, 2006 especially 2006, 2007, once Khan Academy, I had already kind of nailed it with my cousins. It was clearly adding value to their lives. Right. And then in 2006, a friend suggested I make videos to supplement the exercises. I initially thought it was a silly, low-tech idea, not cool. I gave it a shot. I used YouTube as the hosting, made it public. Yeah, because I think it was in the 2004 for that Google bought YouTube and kind of it really became a thing? It's around that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So this was early days. 2006, I definitely was not the first person to make education yeah. videos on YouTube. I probably was the first if or one of the first to make a really comprehensive, rigorous, hopefully high quality <laughs> education videos where you could cover a whole, all of algebra, all of physics, all of chemistry, and hopefully in a way that you know people really connect with. I had already had to shut off how many people could sign up for the app I had built for my cousins, which was a sign that I, you know, most entrepreneurs <laughs> write a business plan and they can get no one to sign up. Yeah. And I had created this app and I had to, I had to 
limit because it was breaking my $30 a month Java servlet web hosting. Right, right, right. <laughs> .com that was, I was using. But then YouTube obviously had its own discoverability to it. And before I knew it, people who are not my cousins were sending me letters saying this this is how they got through algebra or oh, this wow. is why their kids are able to engage in school or they're in the military and now they feel like they can go back to college and now they, they refresh their math background. So at that time, to your question, I did start, you know, these software and on-demand video, if today you're serving a thousand, two thousand people and they're having real deep value from it, no reason why it couldn't one day serve two million people or two billion people. So every now and then I did allow myself. And in 2007, I think 2007 was the first time that some VCs did reach out and they said, hey, we'll write a check right now. You want to start this as a for-profit? And the first meeting was usually pretty good. Like yeah. it, it felt like, hey, I could have my cake and eat it too. I'm not against becoming wealthy. <laughs> having an exit. But it was usually meeting two or three that I got up. Nothing. They weren't saying anything wrong. Yeah. But it just felt misaligned with what I was hoping to do. I would just think about all these letters I was getting from folks. And I would say, well, if, if I started charging for parts of it or putting ads on it or... I don't know if I would be getting these letters. Uh, a lot of these people would not be getting the benefit. And so in 2008, and I still didn't think it was going to be my day job for a while. What I was telling myself is I'm going to do this hedge fund thing long enough so that if I could make as much money as yeah. my as my as my boss had made, then I'd be independently wealthy and then I would and then I would just do it on my own yeah. terms. But I, I did set it up as a not-for-profit in 2008, mission-free world-class education for anyone anywhere, really thinking maybe other people will volunteer, help do some of the development. Maybe other people will want to make videos. Maybe we'll get some donations, things like that. But by 2009, it had frankly taken over my life. There was about 50 to 100,000 folks using it every month. That's when my wife and I looked at our finances. We had money saved up for a house, a down yeah. payment, but it felt like, hey, there's something here. Let's give it a shot. Let's live off of savings for a little bit. And I took the plunge. I think anything entrepreneurial, you always start a little delusionally optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you get crickets for a while. I wasn't getting crickets from users. That's what kept me going. I kept getting a lot of positive feedback from users, but from funders, philanthropists, they just didn't understand what this was. This is some kind of tech nonprofit. Right. I was some guy in a closet. Uh, YouTube, that was a very non-serious thing back in the day. But by... May, Anne and John Doerr oh, yeah. made a significant support of Khan Academy. They, they didn't even, they assumed that we were some like real organization with offices, <laughs> big, big budget. And I was like, no, y'all are the reason why I get to go another year. Right, <laughs> and, right, right, right. And, right. Um, and it was kind of wild. All of a sudden, it's funny, I, I had a grant application in for the Gates Foundation for, I think it was like $20,000 at the time. And then all of a sudden, Bill Gates starts publicly talking about how he uses Khan Academy himself and his with his children and oh wow, that changed things. <laughs> I'm sure it's like getting if you're an author getting mentioned in like Oprah's book club or something. Yeah, just offhand. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and and at the same time, folks from Google reached out and they said, hey, you know, in 2007 they committed to to uh, donating 10 million dollars to five projects that could change the world. Right. It was called Google Ten to the Hundredth. You might remember it. I do. Yeah, yeah it was their 10 year anniversary and it was 2009, 2010. And they're like, that team changed and, and people are saying, what are you doing? You, you promised to do this. What are you doing? And they told me one of the five ideas was a way to educate the world for free. And everyone's telling us about your organization. And mm. I, here was, I was 
literally three miles down the road from Google in my walk-in closet, the same closet that I'm in right now. This is the closet. This is the closet. Yeah, I'm touching both walls right now. It's actually an impressive looking closet. You got a lot of books back there, but I don't know. But that's that's where you record your videos, basically. Yeah, no, no one should feel bad for me. It's a nice closet. <laughs> it makes for a good story. But the Google folks said, you know, what would you do at $2 million? And I said, well, I, I would build up a team. I would build out the exercise platform, have all the subjects and grades from pre-K through the core of college. I would localize it to the languages of the world. And when I met with Bill Gates and the Gates team, they, they kind of asked the same question. What would you do if you yeah. had more resources? And so in fall of 2010, we got two significant grants, one from the Gates Foundation, one from Google, to become a real organization. And, and if you think about what we've been doing since then till now is really trying to scale up what I was able to do at Navia with my cousin yeah. when I was tutoring her. I was able to adjust to her personalize if she had gaps, give them a little micro explanation, uh, give her as much practice as she needed. And until we bring generative AI into the fold, we were saying, well, we can't give everyone a real human tutor, but we can approximate it with on-demand video and we can approximate it with exercises that you can do as many of as you need from a very deep item bank, give tools to teachers so they can even if they have 25, 30, 35 kids in a classroom, they can more personalize what those kids are working on in terms of pace or subject matter. And then you fast forward to a little over a year ago, summer of 2022, and OpenAI reaches out. You know, mm. Sam and Greg pop me, pop me an email and say, hey, we're, we're about to finish training our, our next generation model. We think there could be something interesting here with you guys. And so I took it. I obviously have a lot of respect for them. Yeah. I had followed GPT-1, 2, and 3 and all of that. It was fascinating, but I didn't think it was ready for prime time at yeah. the time. I remember they showed that first demo where they put up an AP bio question. And they said, Sal, what do you think the answer is? And I was like, oh, it's C. And they're like, you know, and it answers yeah. C. And, and it was the first time any of – this was four months before chat GPT comes out. And chat yeah. GPT was based on GPT-3.5, not yeah. GPT-4. So you can imagine, I was like, okay, have it explain it. Have it write more questions. Have it, ex and was able to do that. I was like, okay, this is fascinating. Right. And so they gave, we signed all the paperwork. We, we got under an NDA with them back in uh, September of 22. And myself and several of our team members just, we couldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> like, wow, this is, and what really blew our minds was its ability. It had a lot of issues. It, its math was infamously bad. Yeah. The hallucinations, this is all well-documented. But what really blew our minds was its ability to take on personas and not just superficially take on personas that you could actually prompt it to follow best practices, follow what the research community thinks a great tutor would do, and even have different tone and you know levels of casualness and so then we started having all the debates within our organization. Uh, half of us were like, we got, we, we just have to double down on this. This is the future. The other half said, look, people, we stand for trust. And, but if, if this is not giving the right math answer, if it's hallucinating, I'm sure people are going to have worries about bias, misinformation, safety. Essentially, we, we just said, well, I think both sides are right here. Yeah. But let's just turn all those fears into features and keep moving. And so, we started working pretty feverishly on it and thinking about guardrails. And we could talk more about the guardrails where you make it transparent to teachers. You have a second AI moderating the conversations. We've done a lot of work to make the math way better. And then I remember ChatGPT comes out in November of 2022. And I was super bummed because immediately people saw it as a cheating tool. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the whole, this is the end of homework. This is the end of yep. the take-home essay. This is the end of testing as we know it. It was all, it was very much the sky is falling, educationally. And we're still kind of in that mode, although we're at that, and I was like, oh no, this is going to, they're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I remember reaching out to Greg Brockman. I'm like, hey, what's going on, guys? You have us under an NDA. We're not supposed to launch until March of 23. You just launched something. And Greg's like, no, we, we actually didn't launch anything. We just put a chat interface on GPT 3.5 and the whole world <laughs> kind of <laughs> woke up. But in, in hindsight, that was a blessing because it allowed people to start processing it. And by the time March came around, I think a lot of folks in the education community says, well, this is a powerful tool. If only someone could put guardrails on it, the math works well, it wouldn't be used for cheating. Right. If it can be done in a safe way, transparent way. And then we were able to say, hey, here it is. <laughs> Here's Conmigo. Because that's what you guys had been working on kind of behind the scenes leading up to March. That's right. Right. So what is Conmigo? At the highest level, you could think of it as a, an AI tutor for every student and or a teaching assistant for every teacher. And you can imagine it's very useful to have the same entity be both the tutor and the yeah. teaching assistant to help facilitate interactions between the teacher and the student. And, and another way to think about it, it's, a, it's an extension of what Khan Academy has been doing since day one of trying to figure out ways to scale those interactions that I was able to have with my 12-year-old cousin back in 2004. So from the student point of view, anything that they're doing on Khan Academy, if they're doing an exercise, it won't tell them the answer, but it'll constructive the same way I work with my kids when they're doing Khan Academy. It's actually pretty close to that. Well, what do you think is the next step? Are you sure that's right? Uh, you know, maybe there's a negative number in there. Uh, gives you a second chances, makes you explain things. If you're watching a video and you're like, why do I need to learn this? It says, well, what are you interested in? And it'll connect it. Uh, it has a sense of memory now that we've added. So it remembers mm. if you say, hey, I really want to be a basketball player or I really get excited by X, Y, or Z, but even that we've made it transparent to the user so that they can delete those interests. They can right. see what notes the AI is remembering about them, but it, it goes beyond, frankly, just working on the side while you're doing your regular Khan Academy. We have activities where you can have general tutoring about every about anything or everything. You can talk to emulated historical figures, literary characters. It can act as a kind of a life career coach. Hey, I'm having trouble procrastinating or I don't know if I should go to college or how should I navigate elite college admissions? We've just added activities where it won't write the essay for you, but it will write it with you and it'll give you feedback. And we've, you know, we're working with top writing experts to really make sure that it's, it's really, really on point. Right. And on the teacher side, we have tools for them to make lesson plans, progress reports, soon to be grading even preliminary grades on papers. And we're making mechanisms where the teachers can make assignments to their students that are AI-based. So the teacher, let's say you're studying the Revolutionary War, the teacher's like, tonight's assignment is, I want you to interview George Washington about whether he was ever thinking that he would lose the, the war right. or whatever. And then the student would see the assignment and it's like, hey, I'm George, AI simulation of George Washington here. Mrs. Smith wants us to talk about this, so I'm here for you. <laughs> Let's figure it out. And then emulated George Washington can report back to Mrs. Smith on how the student did. So, um, yeah, we're, we're working on, on on all of the above. But if just set that frame, how can we become a better and better tutor for students and a better and better teaching assistant for teachers? The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So on that question, because it seems to me for the past year plus, I've been talking to people and writing about AI and all its, you know, forms and factors. Um hallucination seems to be one of the big kind of blockers and one of the big weaknesses. And when you talk about guardrails, especially when you're teaching, that feels like quite a big one. So I'd love to understand how you guys have kind of architected the tutor to kind of get around that pretty significant shortcoming for a lot of these AI models. Well, first of all, just to give credit where credit's due, the underlying models, especially GPT-4, are far better than what people might have remembered from their first interactions with yeah. chat GPT, the GPT 3.5. You know, anyone who wants to use any type of AI tool in education or beyond, definitely look at what model it's using. Most of the free services are using GPT 3.5. That's going to hallucinate a lot more and have a lot more math right. errors and, and other things. But above and GPT 4 still can hallucinate. And we're also experimenting with things like Gemini Ultra now. But one of the best ways to minimize hallucinations is to anchor it on content that has already been vetted. And Khan Academy already has 70,000 artifacts of content. And so most of the Conmigo interactions are actually anchored on Khan Academy content. So that dramatically lowers the hallucination rate. So between that and then, you know, there's factual hallucinations, which we've been able to get down a lot by anchoring it on our content. And then there's I guess you call it math hallucinations or math errors. And that we've been able to not completely eliminate. And we do do some digital literacy to help students and teachers understand what the limitations of the technology can sometimes be. But when people use Conmigo, they're shocked at how much better it is at math and particularly math tutoring than if you were to use even ChatGPT Pro or any of the, the frontier models just out of the box. And when you step back and look at, you know, if you're going all the way back to 2004, when you first started doing this with kind of like the technological equivalent of like stone tablets to where we are now, a lot of the vision that people have put forth is like a personal tutor for every child in the world. You're perhaps better placed than just about anybody to, to say whether that is indeed realistic what the limits are, how hard that is to pull off. Like where, how should we be thinking about this? Because I think one of the things around AI, I mean, I just feel like there's a, we're in the midst of an avalanche of bad ideas when it comes to AI, just like it was 2000, you know, there's an avalanche of bad ideas around the internet because it's like, just put every, just put it, everything, give everything a website and it'll, you know, presto change. And it feels like there's a, some, a similar mania happening now. But it'd just be really good to understand from your perspective how you think about 
what AI means, especially for education and this idea of, you know, a tutor for every child with effectively a device, which, you know, is getting closer and closer to virtually every child in the world. There are definitely a lot of bad ideas, but I actually think it's more an issue of bad implementation yeah. or or not well thought out implementation or not fully ethical implementations for maybe good ideas. And I think that's going to hit even more with, with AI. We saw some of that even in the early days, even in the current days of the internet. You know, in some ways, even before you start talking about AI, if a student in, let's say, 1980 is sufficiently motivated and has reasonable resources, they could go to the library and get access to a textbook, but they have to be very, very, very motivated for that. And obviously, there was many parts of the world where they didn't have that. You fast forward to, let's call it pre-AI Khan Academy level of technology, which started to become real in 2005, 2006 until last year. And Khan Academy dramatically lowers the motivational threshold. Uh, you know, a student does not have to go to a library and power through a dense textbook anymore. They have hopefully very approachable videos, as much practice as they want. And a teacher can do that much easier than they would have ever, you know, have every student learn at their own time and pace. And we've had 50 plus efficacy studies where, yes, if students put 20, 30 minutes a week, you know, if they put 60 minutes a week, they're getting tutor-like effects on their learning. Right. But we, what we still saw is that even though this tool's out there and there's, I mean, there's millions of folks using it every every day, it's still a fraction of all the kids that could be benefiting from it. And what I, where I think AI is going to be really powerful is on the motivational side. One, there is that moment where, let's say you got a question wrong on Khan Academy and you watch the video and it does, still doesn't make sense where we probably are losing some kids right now, the AI can step in there. And we're already seeing that with Conmigo and mm. answer their particular question. And then the other dimension of it is, you know, what, when I really think about what I did with my cousins back in 2004, about half of my job was explaining how to factor a polynomial or what entropy means. Right. The other half was me harassing them in a good way about like, hey, you got to work on this. I'm, I, I don't have to do this. You're not paying me. You need to show up. Me calling up their mom and saying, hey, you said they were going to be available, but I just heard they're at soccer practice. I'm waiting for right. them. Come on. This is the priority. So it's that type of thing. So I think AI, because of its conversational nature, it's going to be able to un unblock folks when they're stuck in that moment, but it's also going to be able to motivate. It's going to be able to remember and have a long lasting connection with the student. And it's going to be able to, and we have a project we're internally calling it Proactive Conmigo. We're adding a bunch of features so it is more proactive. So it's not just waiting for the student or the teacher to ask it to do something that it will say, hey, are you sure you don't need this right now? Or eventually you can imagine it directly communicating it to parents and, and teachers, what the students are working on and also how the parents or the teachers might better support the student. But I think if we do that, then yeah, it. I, I never want to pretend like it'll solve all problems and that it's a silver bullet, but I think it, it it dramatically levels the playing field. A lot of kids just don't have that level of, you know, someone nudging them or the supports or just folks who, who understand the system enough to do it. And is this all text-based or is it, does it respond to voice commands at the moment? Right now, it's primarily text-based. In two months-ish, it will be text-to-speech and speech-to-text. So it'll be able to do full voice. We are already experimenting also with image capabilities. Now, the image capabilities right now are primarily around you're trying to do a problem that has a geometry diagram. Right. Or you're trying to analyze an art history 
painting, you know, so the AI can make sense of what, what you're looking at. But I think in two or three years, if we can put the right guardrails in place and make sure it's safe and secure and trustworthy, that, yeah, we, it, it could be using imagery in other ways, it, you know, to maybe even detect how a student is feeling. When you tutor someone live, you're definitely looking at their affect and seeing if what, whatever that can tell you about how frustrated they might be. So, you know, for, for us, it's, it's, as I just said, it, it's a double priority. We want to maximize the safety and the trust and the quality, but we don't want to shy away from something that could add a lot of value, especially if you can, if you can put the right guardrails on. Right. So something like a facial analysis tool, but that's not something you would do lightly, I would guess, especially when you're talking about kids. Yeah, I, I'll be the first one to say that that is exciting, but both creepy at the same time. Yeah. If I even think about for my own kids, I'm like, yeah, if it can help them learn more, I'd want them to do it. And if it gets them excited about academics, I'd want them to do it. But I really need to make sure that whoever's doing it is not doing weird things with whatever they're capturing and is not selling it. And it's transparent to me, the parent, what's going on, et cetera. Could you just talk about the COVID effect? Because it feels like that would have been, I'm guessing, a transformative moment for your company. Because, I mean, there's, you know, you're on YouTube and you're accessible, but I don't know if that was kind of a, a before and after moment for your reach. You know, yes and no. It, it was interesting. In March of 2020, like that first week yeah. where schools started shutting down globally, yes, we saw our traffic triple. It went from about 30 million learning minutes a day to about 90 million learning minutes a day. And it was that way for several months. And then the school system started to in, introduce their own virtual learning, uh, primarily on video conference. Yeah. It was a step forward in that it put a huge emphasis on students having sufficient internet connectivity and devices at home. So that was a positive accelerant, maybe one of the only silver linings of the pandemic that device access at home became a priority. And I'm not blaming the school districts. They had to put something together pretty quickly. That Zoom schooling that happened was pretty bad yeah. for most people. Yeah. And it did two things. The school said, look, if we can just have a sense of this is kind of like school, we'll call it a victory. And so they just transplanted some of the core of lecture-based, for the most part, sometimes boring classes, and they transplanted it to Zoom. On Zoom, some of the kids didn't even show up or they're completely disengaged looking at other things, or even the kids that are engaged, they're just staring at a screen for four hours. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly mind-numbing. And it squeezed out, you know, for a classroom to use Khan Academy in 2019, their pitch was, look, you're already doing a lot, but if you do this, you can improve outcomes even more because right. you're doing personalization. During the pandemic, the mindset started to be like, you know what? We're not trying to optimize anything. We're just trying to, like, survive. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. What you have happened is, because there's so much screen time dedicated to Zoom schooling and people were just trying to like get by, I think a lot of kids got less enrichment. But on the other side, middle income, educated families, affluent families, they double down even more on Khan Academy, which, you know, that's great. They're using it, but we exist for all yeah. to, to use it. Yeah. And then you, you fast forward to post-pandemic. I don't know if this is a silver lining or not, but... We at Khan Academy have been talking about gaps in student learning and that the traditional school system doesn't address that. It just keeps moving ahead at a fixed pace. That's why you need personalization. With mainstream schools, people would intellectually agree with that, but they're like, well, yeah, it's not like, yeah. what are we going to do? After the pandemic, because the gaps had gotten so much more severe, people started using words like, we need to address unfinished learning. We need mm. to have personalization or tutoring. So that became pretty common for people to say those things. 
But once again, as they got back to in-person learning, it was almost like, oh, well, we're back in person. That's a win. <laughs> like we're not going to innovate a huge amount. So to some degree, yeah. yeah, it put the more emphasis on having a backup plan, more emphasis on internet connectivity and devices, more emphasis on personalization. But it also did a lot of damage, as we all know. It, it, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth around um, online, I think. And just end of 2022, kind of you have the GPT moment. 2023, there's like tidal wave of funding into a bunch of ideas which and companies. We'll see how that turns out. Starting, in, I feel like this year, it feels like it's going to be a big year for, all right, now what? Like, how does this stuff actually work? What is useful? What is not? From where you sit, What's the kind of the rose-colored view going forward, I don't know, two, three years in terms of what is possible when you think about generative AI plus education? You know, I, I described already Conmigo, but we are realizing Conmigo should not be limited to Khan Academy. So we're already working on Conmigo as a co-pilot where it can just sit in the browser and be with the student or the teacher wherever they are. So mm. the teacher is on a New York Times article and says, hey, I'm inspired by this. Can we create an assignment around this? And Conmigo is like, okay. How much support do you want me to give the students? And they said, well, you know, uh, I just want you to check whether they read the article, help them understand any terminology. And then Conmigo says, got it. And then tells the students, hey, here's an article for you to read. And by the way, once you're done, I'm going to have a conversation with you about it to, to understand what you're doing. You could imagine a teacher being able to you know, click a button and get a first draft of a lesson plan and then keep working with Conmigo on that. So you're going to have Conmigo transcend Khan Academy. Hopefully, we'll have this launched uh, by the summer. Right. And that actually has very interesting implications, even from a safety point of view. You can almost imagine it as a guardian angel. Right now, in, in ed tech or with kids, there's very blunt instruments to keep them protected. You essentially have firewalls and these different yeah. tools that filter out sites. And they usually just break a bunch of sites and, and still don't keep the kids from doing the bad stuff. But you can imagine if if the AI is alongside you the entire time, it doesn't have to ban all of YouTube. It could say, hey, this video isn't quite appropriate for you. Or actually, I'm not going to let you watch minute two of this video <laughs> because that's the part that's not really appropriate for an eight-year-old. Yeah. Or if you're reading an article saying, hey, would you like me to give this article to you in a, in a style or in a reading level that's more appropriate to you? You know, We already have AIs that are competing for our minds. right? We already have these AIs that are feeding us ads and social media feeds. Imagine if we have an AI on our side that's like, hey, Danny, weren't we working on your research project right now? Why are you looking at your ex-girlfriend's wedding photos? You know, <laughs> let's, let's get, <laughs> let's get, I'm, I'm not have you been, have that. you been looking at my browsing history? Just kidding. <laughs> but, but maybe we should get, maybe we should get back to task or, Hey, we've been doing, we've been, we've been on Roblox for 30 minutes right. now. I'm going to stop you. You've got to do another 30 minutes of Khan Academy before you can do any any more Roblox. Like this is what I think a good parent, this is what I find myself doing all the time uh, to myself or to my kids. And to have someone there, kind of a benevolent angel on your shoulder while you're on the internet, uh, I think could be really cool. I'm excited about leveraging AI to facilitate human to human conversation. We have a, another platform, schoolhouse.world, uh, that we started during the pandemic, which is all around free tutoring and it leverages it with volunteership. We already are using AI to help give the tutors feedback on how they could be better. We are starting to imagine ways that the AI could help facilitate constructive conversations. You know, imagine a world right now. It's a hot topic. Uh, we, ha we have forgotten how to have civil discourse yes. <laughs> everywhere on college campuses, on message boards, everywhere. And I think, honestly, a lot of that is because of the Internet. And the Internet has trained a lot of people to just anonymously rant and yes. be uncivil. 
But imagine if you have any platforms that start integrating AI that can start being that, instead of just being that moderator to seeing whether you're using, you know, a bad word, it can say, hey, you know, there's, I'm not going to let you post this because it's written in kind of an angry way. Why don't you take another shot at it? And, you know, I think this sentence would really not help you <laughs> convince, right. you know, that you're right. Why don't you reframe it? And if everyone had that coach, it's like, once you get in a forum that like is civil, Yes, then I will let you post it <laughs> onto this message board. And that's obviously has implications for education and beyond, potentially the entire internet. But I'm confident that if good folks with good intentions think about how applying this well, this will be more positive than, than negative. Lastly, just before I let you go, and I know we've gone over a little bit, just around Conmigo, what is the relationship with schools and school districts? Because that feels like quite key, right? Like, I mean, I can go on it and have my kids on it at home, but it feels like if you're incorporating in schools, that's a whole other level. And also going back to where we started the conversation around like everybody freaking out, this is a cheating tool, et cetera, et cetera. What is Conmigo? You know, where is it being tested in schools? What is that relationship? How do you see that developing? You know, it's, it's really interesting. As you know, from the founding story, Khan Academy started in a very direct-to-consumer organic way, although we were used in schools from the early days, but this was more teachers deciding on their own to use yeah. us. You fast forward to about 2015, 2016, we had all these efficacy studies and we're like, look, we exist as a nonprofit to move the dial for all kids. The best way to do that is to work with large school districts that are serving a diverse group of students. And when we went to them, the school district said, this was back in 2015, said, look, we believe you. Almost every superintendent had a story of someone in their family benefiting from Khan Academy. But they said, in order for us to use you for real in all classrooms, you have to give us support, training, integration with our rostering systems, district level dashboards, all of these enterprise level things. Right, right. And, and that's when we said, well, it's time for us to mature and do that. So we started building that muscle. We have something called a Con for Districts offering where we partner with districts to do that. They actually do pay for that, a nominal amount, $10 per student per year. But that allows us to fund sending someone out there and training and doing support and all of that type of thing. And, and it turns out that that was a really good platform as Conmigo started to become a thing. One, we were able to go to those districts and say, hey, what would it take? Are you interested? And what would it take? And we got very clear feedback. And so we launched Conmigo in March of 2023. And by April, we had school districts, parts of Newark, New Jersey, Hobart, Indiana, starting to use it in very real mainstream classrooms mm. with teachers and students. One, we, we, we figured out how we can, we can do the right thing from a safety, transparency, data security point of view so that everyone felt good about it, including us. Uh, but also we started to learn a lot about what use cases were, were working and what did we have to add, et cetera. Now we're at about 50,000 students and teachers. I suspect this time next year, we're going to have about a million to two million teachers and students actively using Conmigo. And, you know, Indiana has notably uh, done a statewide pilot already, and we're talking to several other states for next back to school. So this is happening, honestly, faster than, than I expected. On the cheating side, I already talked about Conmigo itself does not cheat. But the question is, well, what's to stop a kid from the, still going to chat GPT and yeah. cheating? And I'm writing a book called, you use the word, use the phrase Brave New World. Uh, my book's called Brave New Words. <laughs> I like it. In it, I, I have a chapter on cheating. And I'm I, two things. I point out that one, uh, cheating is not new to ChatGPT. Well before ChatGPT existed, first of all, there are websites that are unashamedly yes. willing to write your paper for you for $5 a page. You have these great writers sitting in Kenya who have PhDs who will write your article for... In fact, there was an article in the New York Times about how ChatGPT has been hard on them 
because there's these educated right. people. This was their livelihood in Kenya and other places and, and, and Nigeria, I believe. And obviously people could, could get their sister to write the paper or whatever. Our solution, and we've already started building this and it's going to be fully built by this back to school, coming back to school is a teacher works with Conmigo to develop an assignment, say a writing assignment, have a rubric on how they plan on grading it. And then Conmigo goes to the student and says, all right, let's work on this. You have to figure out, you know, what do you think would have happened if the United States lost the Revolutionary War? What's your thesis? And it can work with the student a little bit on what a thesis is, et cetera. But it's going to make sure that the student does the bulk of the work. They do some outlining together, et cetera, et cetera. And then once this, and it can even give feedback on, on where they can strengthen things. And when the student is done, Conmigo says, are you ready to submit this? You're like, yeah, sure I am. Conmigo submits a teacher can give a preliminary even, hey, I think based on the rubric, this is an 85 out of 100. Right. But more importantly, rather than just giving the output, which teachers have historically only gotten, Conmigo said, by the way, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, it took us about four hours to get through this. This student had trouble, like many of your students had trouble coming up with a thesis statement, but eventually got it. And by the way, I'm very confident that this is Danny's work because mm. one, we clearly did it together. And two, it's consistent with the work that he's been doing in class. Like if you compare it side by side, and if Danny goes and gets someone in Nigeria to write his paper or uses chat GPT and just copies and pastes it into Conmigo, Conmigo is going to tell the teacher, I don't know where this came from. There was no process here. It's shady. I would look into it. Right. And by the way, it's not consistent with what the other work that Danny's been doing. Fascinating. When's your book coming out? May, May of 24. Which means you'll be done like next month and then have to wait forever and ever for actually. I'm done. It's You're written. done. It's written. already. I'm done. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still, it, this is my second book. And I, even my first book, I was like, anything I have to say, I'll just put it on YouTube. What do I have to go through? <laughs> it was a good exercise. And, and honestly, this was a good exercise too, to, to kind of have a cohesive vision. But yeah, it is amazing how much happens between when the book is essentially done yeah. and when it actually isn't. Yeah. Five months of stuff. Amazing. Our UK um, listeners, anything they should know about Con Academy availability or Conmigo availability, anything happening that they should know about? Yes. So first of all, Khan Academy has always been available in the UK and it's always been available in English. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so, so there's that. And honestly, there's 50 other languages for anyone who's working with bilingual or you know English language learners. And Conmigo... The only reason why, as of early 24, we have not released it to the UK is we want to make sure, because we do have to charge for Conmigo because of the computation costs, yeah. et cetera. We essentially have to pay huge bills to OpenAI and Microsoft and all of them. But it, 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 we're bringing it down to, it's, I think it's going to be sub $50 a year, right. uh, while you know, ChatGPT Pro is, I think, much more than that. Yep. But we, we're hoping that by the spring, we're going to be able to bring it to the UK. We're, we're just trying to figure out the VAT and make sure we're, we're all good on the taxes and all, all the legal stuff. Uh, and then we're going to make it available to the to the UK. So folks in the UK, you know, around March, April-ish, uh, Conmigo should be available to you. Very cool. Very cool. Well, look, thank you for taking the time. And I wish you luck with it all. And um, yeah, I look forward to the book. Great. Thanks, Danny. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Saul for taking the time. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. That is it for me this week. I hope you guys have a fabulous weekend. You can find me. I'm not writing this week. I'm actually off, but you know, the pod never sleeps. So there you go. So nothing for me in the paper this weekend, but I will be back next week. And um, yeah, that's it. Have a fabulous weekend. Find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson or email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk, or if not, just have a fabulous weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.